Hey, this is Darren Tyler. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast from Conduit Church. Conduit is a community of Christ followers that meets in the Nashville area. If you'd like more information about what's going on here or around the world through Conduit, you can go to conduitchurch.com. Revelation 8, how about that? When he opened the seventh seal, verse 1. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I shared on my Facebook status, and I've said it before, I don't believe this, but it's controversial. There are theologians that say that this means that there will be no women in heaven. And again, I don't think that's true at all. I just, that's what some have said. I would never say that. I think that that's ridiculous, but that's what some have said. Did you know, it was a little link there, but the the average female, there are 22,000 words a day that a female speaks. Average man, 7,000. This is scientific. You can go home and Google it right now. And they figured out that in the female brain, there's some protein that makes them, uh, that you just need to talk about it more. So this is just science. So husbands, there's nothing wrong. We just got to listen. And we don't have that protein. So our job is to listen. Do you have anything to say? No. Okay. Nope. <laughs> Time for the couch. And I saw verse 2. The seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. God, would you give us insight into your word today that it's not an academic exercise. This is a supernatural communication to us. And I believe every one of us You want to speak to each of us individually, and you want to speak to us corporately. And might we, for just these few moments, quiet our hearts and our minds and allow ourselves to hear from you today. In your name we pray. Amen. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were in Revelation 5. I don't know if you remember, but this idea that there are bowls of incense before the throne that he says, is the prayers of the saints. And I saw that in Revelation 5 and 6 and the prayers. And there was almost a picture of when I am praying, when you're praying, that there is a bowl. Maybe it's metaphorical, I'm pretty sure. But, but the picture is that our prayers are heard and kept and not forgotten. And at some point, that bowl is full. And when it's full, in this case, God does some pretty remarkable things. And it's, I think, a picture of the heart of God that he does incredible things with our prayers. And the question I offered a few weeks ago was, how many of us are just one or two prayers away from our bowl being full? And to continue to offer the incense of prayer to our Father. And as I got to Revelation 8 this week, and you see that word that there is there was silence in heaven, which is initially is a very strange thought to me. I mean, you begin to see there's the winged things. It's like a C.S. Lewis movie praying, and it's almost like God going, shh, 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 you'll be quiet, quiet. 
And, and I, I offered that idea that maybe that some of that is because God is listening to our prayers. And he wants to hear what we have to say. And I, I, I saw something else this week. Because it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, the, the silence of God. The times when we've been waiting to hear from him anything. Throw me a bone, just something. When I was younger, I, it was before I was married, I had, uh, I had not put a lot of thought into my future. I, basically, if you were to ask me what my plan was, it was that I hoped something neat was going to happen. Like, that was it. I had pretty much put all my eggs in the basket of neat. And I was, uh, I was doing a little bit of music at the time, and I, and I, I realized that things were not going exactly as I had planned when I was doing a gig at a theme park in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I thought, oh, this is awesome. I've made it, the radio station. And the, but what I didn't know ahead of time was that the stage was right next to the wooden roller coaster. And I was doing an acoustic thing, and so the upside was there was only like one set of train cars on it, so I had about three minutes in between each time when the if you've been by a wooden roller coaster they're not very quiet that's that, and it would like drown out and the problem and you may not know this but the average song is not three minutes it's actually three minutes and 30 seconds and so i it was a little bit of a challenge for me and i was praying you know god what do you want me to do is this it is this you know i'm not very good at this i'd become at that point i was aware that I wasn't that great at it. Now, I didn't let that stop me, but I was, that's, I was that's a little bit of an awareness thing. And, and in the meantime, I was also, I began hosting this little radio show. And the funny thing about the little radio show was that we were on Sunday night. We didn't know that the only reason they, they did that would put me on there with, uh, with my buddies. It was basically me and my buddies just hanging out on a Sunday night on the radio show to, uh, to kill time after Dawson McAllister got done. And... We didn't know that it was because nobody listened to Sunday nights on Christian radio, and so we, we, you know, we thought we were, it didn't even occur to us nobody was listening. And, but what happened was all of a sudden people were listening, and the radio guy, uh, the program director, started listening, which was unfortunate, uh, because he was like, you know, I don't know, this is really, this ain't going to work. So I'm basically getting fired from a job I don't even work at, which is what makes this so hard. <laughs> I don't even work here. But in the middle of that, towards the end, I'm supposed to interview this guy, and Elliot, you might appreciate this, this guy named Al Denson. Anybody remember Al Denson? Oh, come on. You, I mean, you show your age, but you can do it. <laughs> Al, if you weren't, if you don't know who he is, he wasn't like an A-level artist. He was like a C, I'd give him C+, plus, right there in the meaty part of the curve. You know what I mean? Like, he was that, you know, he was doing some stuff, and so I got my little gear, I'm going downtown, I'm going to set up, I'm going to do the little radio interview, and Al... Uh, stands me up. Like, I can't, and it's, and in, in fairness to Al, there was something, I, I, as later I would become a manager, so I'm sure there was something going on. He wasn't just blowing me off, pretty sure. That, uh, I, but I'm sitting there, I got my stuff and my gear, I've driven all the way downtown, and so I get stuck with the opening band. I, the opening band I got to interview now, who nobody had heard of. It was this little uh, duo called East to West. And I, uh, and they were great. They had turned out to be really fun, and we gave them the whole show, and and I was like, didn't think much more of it other than I, when uh, the following week I called their, their manager and just to tell him, hey, you know what, uh, you know, Al blew me off, but that's fine. But like this other, you know, you got the, these guys are good. You know, they're, they're great. They're really nice guys. Uh, you, you should be proud of them. And, 
And what was interesting about that was in all of that, I'm still not sure what I'm going to be when I grow up. I have no idea. I mean, I was, maybe some of you are today, I was waiting tables and I thought, this is it. At some point, this is it. My green apron and my black bow tie, that's it for me. Uh, I'm going to ride off into the sunset in my green apron and black bow tie. And I felt that God was being a little quiet with me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what steps to take or, you know, I went to Bible college sometimes and I just thought he was awful quiet. And an interesting thing happened. And that was the guy that I called was, I I can say his name. His name was uh, Chuck Tilly. And he would ultimately end up hiring me to be a booking agent. I'd never booked a show in my life other than my own. I don't know what that even meant. And it was through that process that later I was sitting at a table at Ruth's Chris in downtown Nashville in 1998 signing a band to William Morse Agency where I was working. It was called Rascal Flats, and it was Jay DeMarcus who was in East to West that I had met those years before. And it was, I was part of the signing team. I was, but what had happened was in God's silence, he really wasn't being silent at all. The thing about God's silence is that sometimes we think that God's silence actually denotes his absence. And haven't we all felt that before? That this is really going south on me in a hurry. And some of you might be thinking, that's great, Darren, the silence. I'm still there, like that little neat part that you just gave. I haven't gotten to the neat part yet. And I understand that. And understand that as you get older, the neat, uh, sometimes are farther and fewer between, but... God still does neat things. It's it, what is in between. You talk about glory to glory is the scripture, but it's really neat to neat. <laughs> this neat thing happened, and then I'm, but now I'm back into this, and what's next for me? And those moments you feel like God is silent. There's silence in heaven. My prayers are falling on deaf ears. And the question, really, the you know, is what do I do in those? Like, what what is my responsibility in between neat and neat? And I look at this and feel like that we get a glimpse at the heart of God. Because the idea of him being silent doesn't denote that he's absent. His silence doesn't equal his absence. Not at all. If you're a father or a mother, you know that. That there are times that you're letting your kid figure some stuff out. And there are times you're speaking. And if you haven't figured that out, maybe as a parent, if you're always speaking all the time, maybe, you know, relax into it a little bit and let the Holy Spirit move. You, you plant seeds and then let the Holy Spirit move. And, but that's the, the point of his silence wasn't because he was absent from my life. He was actually doing crazy things. Acts, or Revelation 8 is a pullback of the curtain. This is what was really going on. Because just the chapters before in Revelation 6, it talks about the saints who prayed, How long, O Lord, before... You avenge us, these that were martyred. How long? And I, sometimes I feel like I relate maybe more to that prayer than any other prayer in the Bible. And maybe you do too. Maybe you've prayed it when you say things like, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I don't know how long I can do this. I can't grow old like this. There are things that those prayers, they take on different forms, but it's the same principle, which is how long, God. And maybe it's helpful for us to understand when he's being what's seemingly quiet in our life is to know that God's silence doesn't 
equal his absence. It also doesn't reflect that he's weak. I think that his silence actually shows his strength. The story that Jesus would tell of a prodigal son, you remember it? How hard would it be to stand and watch your son walk out the door, your daughter, your little baby, knowing what was ahead for them and let them, not only did he let them, he financed the trip. Let that sit in for a moment. And in that time, he was awful quiet. But he was saying a lot by not saying anything at all. Because it was in that time that the son, and I don't know how many of you, maybe you learn like this, I sure do. I learn from experience way more than I do from lectures and from someone telling me. And God's restraint is his allowing us to learn some stuff that, yeah, it had been, sure, it had been a lot easier for the son to just trust his dad and figure it out. But God's restraint, the picture of the heart of God was that he let him go. He financed the trip knowing that at some point this young man needed to come to the end of himself. And he did. It says that he finally came and he realized, man, even my servants are living better. My, the pigs live better than this back home. He's in a pig pen realizing, and he, I'm sure he'd heard that his whole life. But he had to learn it by experience. God's restraint, his silence sometimes is just us letting us go learn some stuff. I learned a lot during those few years of wondering, what am I going to do? I learned that I still needed to work hard at whatever was right in front of me, that that waiting tables, that whatever it was that God had, that I learned that I didn't just sit on the couch and just sit around and wait for something neat to happen. I had to work. And I learned that during that time, what it meant to work. I learned what it meant to not put my Identity and what I do, something I still battle with, but I certainly learned it not because God told me, because I lived it. His silence is his restraint, the ultimate restraint shown, I believe, when, when a father looks on his son hanging on a cross and says that he could have called down 10,000 angels, Jesus could have gotten him, that God stood by. And if you think you've felt the silence of God, Jesus, when he said, Why have you forsaken me? He knows it. He knows the feeling. That moment that you feel, the reason it feels so familiar was that it felt familiar to Jesus as well. And God stood by, not because it was easy, but because it was right. And because what needed to happen was God to be quiet and to not interfere. How hard could that have been? Because if you've been around, you're a father, you're a mother, you you maybe know this, but if if you're not... I mean, mess with me, you've maybe heard this, we, we can talk, but mess with one of my kids. We had a moment in Guatemala where a young man who was inebriated wanted to have a conversation with my daughter. And it went poorly for him. <laughs> because it was my daughter. Now, maybe I should have showed the better part of valor and restraint, but I didn't have the strength <laughs> that God had in these situations. I, uh, I, he didn't under, I, I could speak just enough uh, Spanish and he could speak just enough English that I was crystal clear uh, what my intentions were should he touch my daughter. And we've had that conversation locally. I don't know, Maddie, I apologize. Uh, with uh, young men. <laughs> with my kids. Because it's my kids. It's like God has given this and my stewardship of that. And 
But the lessons I learned are that sometimes we have to let our kids hear the parameters, and, but they're going to learn some stuff the hard way. And man, it's hard to stand by and watch as a parent. Do you, do you feel that? Do you understand that? And that's the heart of God, the restraint. But the other thing that I think his silence is for us is an invitation. And I think that because when he's quiet during this dispensation, God does still speak. I believe that Acts 1 started, it says that uh, in the last days you shall see visions and talks about the Holy Spirit. And, and there are those that pray or that would teach that that's a, uh, that, that means, well, that was just descriptive. The problem with it is it actually says the last days started then. In the last days. So he's saying, hey, Peter's saying the last days just started. And until you see, uh, you know, what is the equivalent for the blood, the billows, and the boils, uh, the three B's of Revelation, uh, the, the, he's going to continue to speak like that. That there's amazing things that God is doing in the earth with, through the Holy Spirit right now, but there are moments in our own lives where we feel like it's, it's been a little quiet, and uh, it's, be, now would be a good time, God, for some kind of a word. But his silence is his invitation to us to participate in the work of changing this world that silence it wasn't the first time God had been a little quiet on earth 1 Samuel 3 it's recorded that it had been a while since there had been visions there hadn't been very many visions and prophecies and God hadn't spoken much in a while in Israel but the most interesting silent period of God that I think of is actually in the Bible and not in the Bible you probably could miss it. The last words of Malachi chapter 4. It talks about that I'm going to send Messiah. And he talks about, in fact, the last words of the Old Testament refer to a curse. And interestingly enough, the New Testament refers to blessing after that. The curse was taken care of. But Malachi put down his pen and for 400 years God was silent on the earth. There is no more recorded scripture, no recorded prophecies, no, nothing. There's 400 years between that and between the time that a man named Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 was praying. It says that he went into the temple with his incense and prayed. He was a priest. And that day, an angel appeared to him, and I'm sure it startled him because it had been a long time since God had spoken in, on the earth. And he told them, you're going to have a son. And he said, remember we talked about this in Revelation 5. He told him, your prayers have been heard. And Zacharias was like, what prayers? It had been so long since he had prayed it, he'd forgotten he'd even prayed it. Your prayer for a son, your wife who is barren, she's going to give birth to a son. She'd give birth to the guy, and if she'd had it the way that she wanted it, if I'd have had it the way I wanted it with my little rock and roll deal, I'd, have my, I'd probably still be schlepping around in, in a, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd look like this, but I'm doing youth camps. That's probably where my life would be right now. And I'm just, I'm not very good at that, but I'd be doing that because that was what my dream was. But God's dream for me was so much bigger. God's dream for Zacharias was huge because he was going to give birth. His wife was going to give birth to John the Baptist, the one man that Jesus said there's only one man greater in the earth. The greatest man on earth at that time was John the Baptist. A prayer that she thought he had thought had fallen so silently that they'd forgot they prayed it and years and years later. But in the meantime, what did Zacharias do? He continued to pray. He continued to do the work that God had called him to do in faith. 
And the invitation that I think that Jesus gives us in his, in his silence is our opportunity to be, Paul would call us, ambassadors. If you've gone to another country and you get into a, a little, like you lose your passport, or you, you go to your embassy where there is an ambassador who doesn't, he's not the president, but he speaks on behalf of the president. When he speaks, it's as if America speaks in that country. And you and I, Paul tells us, are ambassadors for Christ on this earth. Our voice matters. And isn't there, is there anything greater than when you've been, tell, you've been telling your kids and you've been pouring into them and suddenly they start saying what you've told them? Sometimes it actually happens in someone else. Dad, did you know that so-and-so said this? I'm like, I've been saying that for 12 years. But, but be that as it may, <laughs> when you begin to hear them say those, as a father, as a mother, it's great because you know that something is happening in them. And as our father, God gets to hear us say what he has said. Can you imagine how much joy that brings him? Luke would say that there's no disciple, no student that would be greater than the teacher, but he will be like his teacher. We get to be like Jesus. We get to be disciples which have a voice on this earth, a voice for the gospel, a voice to talk about to those whose lives are down and out to bring hope to them. We get a chance as a church, as individuals, to speak out on behalf of those who have no voice at all. In Matthew 25, 36, you can write it down and go there later. Jesus, speaking of the end of time and when we would all be judged, he, that very, very famous passage where he says, when you've, when you've done it unto the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. You know the, the passage. If not, you should read it. Because it gives you a little bit of a, it's like, hey, this is what's going to be on the test. But he says something interesting. He says, when you, did you, you visited me when I was in prison. You know, he says, you came unto me when I was in prison in Matthew 25, 36. That word came unto me is a Greek word. And I actually wrote it down so you can, I don't have to spell it. Oh, it's gone. It's erkomai. Did not. Erkomai. E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. Erkomai is the Greek word that Jesus was using when you came unto me and part of the full pregnant meaning of that word is to come before the public when I was in prison. Here's what I believe he's saying there. One of our brothers, Saeed Abedini, continues to be in an Iranian prison. He can scream as loud as he wants to, and I'm sure he has in some of the moments of torture that he's bared, and nobody can hear him. We get to Urkomai Saeed by bringing it before the public. In those moments where we have just tweeted like crazy, we've let our voices be heard in those ways. We've called our congressman. We've prayed for him. And on September 26th, I want to invite you to join us on the steps of the Capitol in downtown Nashville as thousands of other Christians and brothers and sisters around the country we are going to be joining on the steps of their state capitals to pray for Saeed and those like Saeed who are in prison around the world. Our voice, we get to my God is quiet, but we get to be his voice. We get to speak up on behalf of injustice. Martin Luther King said, that at the end, when this is all over, I'm going to probably butcher the quote, but the, the, the meat of it is really simple, that 
when this is all said and done, we won't remember the voice of our enemies as much as we'll remember the silence of our friends. Silence for us is not an option. Our voice, when we speak out on behalf of our brothers and our sisters who are imprisoned around the world, the question isn't where is God? The question is where is the church? Us. We are his agents of change on, during this, and it's coming, and we're going to talk about it next week. Revelation 8. God is going to come and set this right. He's going to open up a giant can and take care of those that have tortured, those who have rejected, those. But on this side, our voice is what they've got. And God has trusted you and I. Let's be, let's be really good stewards of that. We can speak with our mouth. It's a controversial ruling, but the Supreme Court recently ruled that you can actually speak with your money through political campaigns. I don't know how that one way, I'm not smart enough, it's above my pay grade. But what I do know is you can speak with your money as it comes to the kingdom of God. Where you're investing your money for the long term, investing in disciples here and around the world, is you speaking on behalf of God. But they don't need your money as much as they need you and the Holy Spirit. And when you open your mouth and just trust what Jesus said to the disciple, all a disciple does is I, all I do is I hear and say what my Father tells me to do. I wake up today, what does God want me to do today? And I get to be an agent of change that while God, while there's silence of heaven, it's not that there's nothing going on. There's plenty going on. The windup is, I believe, has already begun. And in the meantime, we get to be his voices to those around us. And I'm going to end on this. We get to be our voices to ourselves. Did you know that your human brain actually, your human body in general, recreates itself over and over and over again? On average, three months, I could ask the health people that could give me more uh, specific. But you have, you're made up of cells, and those cells die and are recreated with new cells, and that's why it's good to take care of yourself with, with good nutrition. And, but, but think with me on this. Faith comes by hearing, 11, Hebrews 11, and hearing by the word of God. Your brain, God says that you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. He made you in a way that, that this past week there was a thing uh, on the news where they had actually created a human brain in a lab. But all they did was create a muscle. It doesn't do anything. God made you fearfully and wonderfully, and there's this thing inside of you that as you, your brain, it's like this series of synapses and firings and electricity and things that happen inside of you. And you can, listen to me, rewire your brain to think differently than it does right now. This, oh, this is the way I am. I can't help it. I can't change. I've tried. But your brain can be rewired. The behavior is because you believe a certain way. Changing our beliefs about ourselves. That's why Paul would say, Romans 12, but you, you can be transformed, you're, cha- you're changed, you can be changed from this into that by the renewing of your mind. So not only can we speak out on behalf of those who are in danger and around the world, we can my them, but I firmly believe that a huge missing piece in the body of Christ is the reality of us speaking to ourselves. 
And there's something about it that the audible words of God out loud, and I know some of you, I see your eyebrows going Spock on me. Hang with me. You know who you are. Begins to change the wiring of your brain. Because God wants you to rewire. He wants to transform who you are. Those lies that you believe about yourself is what keeps you from speaking out on behalf of someone else. It's what keeps you from being what God created you to be, which is an agent of change in this world, because he didn't give you that spirit of fear. He gave you a power, love, and a sound mind. Is your mind sound this morning? If it's not, maybe, just maybe. How many of you have a 20-minute drive to work? If you live in Spring Hill, it's like an hour and 30 minutes right to Nashville. And how many of you right now, you don't have to raise your hands on this, you, you use that time listening to uh, talk radio or, or just jamming out to your favorite 80s Pandora channel? Or And that drive is a little frustrating, or can be, right? The traffic. and What if you thought of it differently? What if you thought, hey, this drive is a gift. God just gift-wrapped me 20 minutes for me. And what if you used that time to talk, you're in your crazy, to yourself? Those scriptures that promise you that you have a sound mind, those lies inside of you that think of it as you're praying, but you're praying out loud. They didn't have the written word for thousands and thousands of years when God told Joshua, hey, tell them, keep that word in your mouth. They didn't have the written word. They had to speak it out loud. And I love it because I feel like God did it and designed it and wired it that way because it's the very thing that when I am praying and, man, go to Ephesians. Ephesians 1 and just, you, you know, just you can go there later. But that's, pray that stuff. Just literally read out loud Ephesians 1, 2, 3. There's amazing prayers in there that Paul is praying. Pray about yourself and Give yourself that 20 minutes. Before you give it to anybody else in the day, find the time to speak to yourself. And if you grew up, I grew up in a, in a world where it was a little strange because we got so carried away with it that if I said, oh man, I think I'm getting a cold, somebody would scold me and say, oh yeah, that's a bad confession. And maybe you don't, that's probably weird to you, but that was our lives because the idea was anything I say is magic. And it was like, and all it was was just, well, it was just crazy. And it was, didn't work, and it was not true. And so it just distracted us from the reality of it, which was there's power in our hearing. God gave you hearing on purpose because he knows that we can learn through hearing just as much as we can through seeing. And I just want to plant that seed in your mind that maybe this week, in your drive, in your whatever, to your children, saying it out loud, what has God done for you. What is God? If you feel afraid, go to the Word, and what does God say about fear? And just pray that out loud. Don't whisper it out loud. I don't care if they think you're crazy at a stoplight. They think you're crazy when you're jamming out to Def Leppard and going, you know, playing the dashboard. That's crazy, too. Or you've got Michael Del Jorner on, and now you're just angry. And Michael's a great guy. I don't mean anything like that. I just, but now you're mad because I'm listening to this thing, and, I, and he's right. I don't, that makes me mad. Or if you're on the other side of the aisle, you might listen to I don't even know who you're listening to, actually, these days. And, but you'd be mad about that. 
And I mean, is it working? Really? Is it working? Ask yourself that. And if it's not, why don't you give this a try? Why don't you just, hey, Jesus had a lot to say about speaking things and praying out loud. Do this for a while and see what happens in your brain and you begin to rewire. God says you can be transformed. There's, I believe it's a Holy Spirit thing that rewires your brain to do exactly what it's supposed to do. Your brain is the only organ in your body that is reacting based upon circumstances around it. If you get a cut in your body, your body knows what to do. It'll heal itself. It's amazing. It's this weird miracle thing. But the brain is the one muscle that allows other circumstances to impede even how it behaves. And now you might be my age and believe a bunch of crap about yourself that isn't true. You might be 16 and started to believe some of that stuff that I'm not valuable, that I'm, that guy, they're all so much smarter than I am. Whatever that story is in your brain, it's not from God. And that story then begins to dictate the entire rest of your life. And let me tell you this, guys like Saeed, they need us to figure that out now. There is a world out there that needs us to allow our minds to be transformed, our lives to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can be voices for them. Parents, your children need you to figure this out. That your minds are renewed so that when you're speaking to them, you're speaking from the renewed mind, not the one that's bogged down. And I know, you know what, some bad things have happened to you in your life, and it's happened to all of us. But at some point, you have to say, enough is enough. I've had a terrible life. Who hasn't? I have to move on. I have to begin to rewire what God says about me, not let the enemy tie me up into the lies so that it affects everything from my children to a guy in an Iranian prison. Everybody is affected by it, including you. When Jesus promised an abundant life, he wasn't kidding. There is one, and it's available to you. But it starts with you allowing God's silence, accepting that as his invitation for you to participate in the work of change in your life. Participate in the kingdom. Pray about it. Did you chew on that and think about it this week? God's not quiet because he's mad at you. Maybe he's listening. Maybe he's silent because it's that time where he's inviting you to be his voice. When Jesus sent out 72, he said, they sent them out two by two. Jesus didn't. He's sitting back home. And it says they came back full of great joy because of what they had seen. He wants you to be full of great joy. He wants to send you out and do awesome things. He's wired you for adventure. He's wired you to need that variety and that excitement in your life. And the lies we told you, i got to stay home because I don't want to, you know, the traffic. I don't want to get my job. I'm, I'm too tired. Whatever those things are happening in us, that's the enemy tying it back down to us and using our brains to tie us out. And God says, I want to use your brains to set you free. It's really, really simple. Accept his invitation. Would you pray with me right now? And we're going to eat. Um, is the food ready? I'm shooting my mouth off. I, you know, I, it's, it's got to be close. We're going to. I'm going to let Jeremy and Amber play one.